Everyone, welcome to another awesome day with a struggle. I'm Sean Lee. And I'm James Park. We're here to discuss the reality of daily struggles and how it's a constant no matter where we are on our journey. Join us for honest conversations as we navigate life, business, and career challenges. Learn how to accept the struggles and how it's all about the mindset. This week, we're just getting back into the rhythm of things we missed last week because I was out of town and got busy with the family, which is something that we talk about, the challenges of that and struggles. Because these struggles, as benign as they may feel in comparison to our work lives, is actually very important and has a huge impact on our work lives. So enjoy the episode. All right, everyone, welcome to the podcast. My name is James Park, and this is Sean Lee, and that makes this Startup Struggles. Yes. Sorry, everybody, that we missed a week last week because I was out of town. I was back in Michigan after attending a wedding in Philly, where I surprisingly did not catch COVID <laughs> again. Big win, big win. <laughs> <laughs> I dodged COVID twice now in two weeks. And I say that because I was at a ramen shop sitting next to one of my buddies and he tested positive for COVID the next day. And we're like in the steamy, hot ramen shop, shoulder to shoulder. <laughs> and somehow I didn't get COVID from him. And then I went back to Michigan to see my parents, my family, my brother, hang out with them for a little bit, help out around the house. And that's what's crazy, James. Like this past two weeks, at least, I'm not actively quote unquote working per se, but there's just so much to do. Like I, every day I'm just like, how does a day pass? Because I never feel like I have a, a moment of, I don't want to say like rest. I feel rested, but I just feel like there's always something going on. Maybe it's a human thing to always fill the day with things, no matter what you're doing, right? Whether it's work or being a full-time dad, full-time parent, full-time husband, family member, it's always filled. That's true. I mean, a lot of the time has been spent, you know, with family, with Miles, with Mink. It was Father's Day this past weekend. So we did spend over half a day at the beach just hanging out with Miles. But I bring this up because there's something I've been wanting to do and I keep not doing it, which is continue listening to Radical Acceptance. Mm -hmm. And I keep on bookmarking things in the audiobook, And I want to find time to then highlight and bookmark these things I want to talk about on the podcast. Yeah. And I can never get around to it. Yeah. <laughs> and like the day will come up where we're recording today. I'll be like, ah, shoot, there was like a bunch of things I noted down that I wanted to talk about, but I didn't. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Were you always saying I'll do it tomorrow? Yeah. Yeah. Or I'll do it the day before. Yeah. Or the night before the podcast. So this morning, I actually wrote an article about this three-step trick I've been using to get over, I'll do it tomorrow. Because I always use that too. Like same thing with, with reading or any small task or whatever. I'm like, say, I'll, I'll do it tomorrow. And then I never do it. The three steps I started using about a month ago was one, just to start it. Two was to prioritize it. And three is to complete it. And what I mean by that is the first step is when I say that I'm going to do it tomorrow, I take five minutes right then just to start it, mm. whatever it is. For me, it, it was like 
I've been studying about energy lately. And for a long time, I was just like, I'm just going to do it tomorrow and do it tomorrow. But by starting, even for five minutes, I do whatever. I read, I look it up on, look up energy and I start to read or I start to see all the different things that are available on the website. And I think having that first step of just starting it, even if it's just for five minutes, allows me to get over starting. And then the next day I can jump right into it. And then the second thing is I make sure that it's the first thing that I do. For me, I try doing it like right in the morning. So either as soon as I get up or as soon as I finish my morning routine, it's the first thing that I do. And then the third thing is that I just make sure I finish it. And those three things have really helped me to take whatever it is, whether it's chores or exercise or writing an email or or even like reading an email, it really... And just apply those things, especially the first step of just starting it. Whether it's for five minutes, a lot of times, even when I do it for five minutes, I end up doing it longer and I finish more than I really ever thought I could. And then the next day, it's just that much easier to finish where I left off. And so maybe that's a trick that we have to use with reading a book is when we say that we're going to start reading tomorrow, just take five minutes just to start reading it or start copying down the quotes that you have from the audio book and just start highlighting in the physical copy that you have, maybe even by beginning that first step, you'll get further along than you thought. And the next day you can complete wherever you left off. And it becomes so much easier because you got over that first hump of doing something. No, I totally agree. That's a great strategy. It's very much in line with the idea. Uh, one of my buddies was asking me about how to stop procrastinating. I was telling him, which talked about this before, how to make things into more bite-sized chunks, break things down so that it doesn't feel like an emotional barrier. Yeah. It's so weird. It's, we all have an intention to do something, but getting into the action of doing it, it's such a huge step. It really is emotional. The reason why, for me personally, why I can't start is an emotional thing. It's either based on like fear or or waiting for motivation to kick in to start it. But you can't wait to be happy to do everything, right? You can't wait for lightning to strike, for you to be in the mood to do what you intend to do. And and actually, I, I think it's even funny that we're always like, oh, we wait for lightning to strike. But that's like one in a million, right? Like being struck by lightning is a rare thing. And for us to say that, oh, I had an idea. It was like a strike of lightning. Right. It just goes to show you that we can't wait for the lightning motivational kick to do anything. That's true. At the same time, like I say it and and every day it's it's trying to get over that emotional hump. Yeah. I think that's why sometimes having a job like a nine to five is, I thought about this before, having been an entrepreneur for over, I think, 12 years now. Sometimes having a job is easy because there's this thing that you have to show up on every day. And it's good and it's bad, but I think everything's a double-edged sword. So I definitely see the benefits of having some kind of routine or regimen, which is good. And speaking of that, that's something I've been thinking a lot about lately, which is how do I create a good routine for myself, especially in this stage, because it's so easy for me to default into the millions of household chores or related things <laughs> that crop up. Because that's what I realized the past two weeks. Like, There's literally an unending number of to-dos around the house. Whereas a dad, there's always going to be 
Miles Laundry to do. There's always going to be the floor to vacuum or to mop. There's going to be the footboards to dust, which I haven't done yet in a year. Shit like that. There's just so many little things where if I just like look around, I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to do that. <laughs> yeah. And then every week I go to vacuum the house and feed the cats and clean their litter and change their litter. <laughs> yeah. There's always dishes. So how do we think about building routines around making time or making space for the things that we want to do? I think that's something I, I've been trying to take a break from because before it was like, wake up, check email, go to my desk and then start doing my work. And for the past month has been just wake up and do whatever is in front of me. <laughs> yeah. Whatever comes to mind, whatever is needed. Yeah. How do I create space now for me to reintegrate back into some kind of work? I think that's, that's a challenge. Yeah. Definitely the benefit of having a nine to five job or whatever is that it forces structure, whether you like it or not. And maybe that's kind of the approach that we have to take is having structure, having time and setting time to do what you want to do or what is needed to do your responsibilities. I like to always break down my days into quarters or thirds and having dedicated times before breakfast, like after breakfast, lunch, before dinner, and then evening, because that already gives some kind of structure. And then you can fill in chunks in there because before it was all like wake up and work and then go to sleep and work kind of fills itself out, right? Because you, in a way, you're almost like on like autopilot for work, but as an entrepreneur, even your work is decided by you. And even that is like a structure set. When you're kind of just floating through without that structure, I think that becomes your structure. And it's really hard on a day-to-day -day basis because you have to make these decisions on what you choose to do each day. I think that is kind of exhausting too. Yeah, totally agree. And so maybe the way to do this is setting, I don't want to use the word to like prioritize or whatnot, but Maybe that's what it is. You kind of have to prioritize what is important for you in a week, day-to-day, week-to-week basis and start to build a structure around that. Yeah. Like right now, your priority is health, family. I think that's a, the one thing I struggle with because I keep forgetting that we're expecting a baby in, in a month and life is going to change again. And so in some ways, it limits what I can or want to take on right now. I get antsy, like I get ideas or, you know, I want to do some work or do more for clever or I'm just like, well, okay, hold on, hold on a second. Take a step back. What can you actually do and contribute meaningfully in this time frame before you have to disappear again? Yeah. I mean, that's always hard <laughs> when you're expecting something to show up and how a baby is going to completely change the dynamic of your day. Now, I've never had a kid, so I can't speak to this, but Maybe in a month, you've already had miles and you know what it's like to have a newborn. Thinking back to what it was like when Miles was first born and building that into your day-to-day -day now. Well, that was just trying to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> it was like trying to catch up on sleep wherever you could because the baby needs to be fed every two hours. <laughs> I think that there's one thing I've been doing a lot better than months prior or the past year is that my sleeping schedule has been pretty good. Go to bed between 8 to 9.30, 10 o'clock latest, and I'll wake up at 5.30, 6 o'clock. 
it's really good by eight hours in, which has been nice. I mean, I still feel weird tingling sensations sometimes in my face from the Bell's palsy. That's the only thing I'm trying to watch out for and be careful for. But overall, I would say been reducing my stress a lot. Golf has not added any additional stress at all because <laughs> I, I have very low <laughs> expectations for my game. That's awesome. And yeah, overall, health-wise, I feel great, feel fine. It's just what I struggle with these days is just, I think, beyond my family, just my purpose. Like, what is my contribution to society, to the world? But like I said, I don't know what or how to think about that in terms of like, oh, what can I contribute in the next month and then not and then stop. So whatever I do has to be like a short project, like a month long project at most for now. Isn't that okay? It is okay. Yeah. I think as we're talking through this, helping me realize that I just need to, whatever it is I want to do, I just need to make sure that I can contain it within a month, month and a half. Yeah. Or maybe it's even something that can go longer, but the first month you just are spending a little bit more hours. And then after your second kid arrives, it's just limited down to half hour a day, one hour a day at the most. And so what is a project that you can start now where you can dedicate a few more hours a day to it? Yeah. And then eventually tailor off where you're still working on the project. And so you still have this feeling of contribution to another outside society. And it's not that you're like cutting off entirely because it's not like you're going to disappear completely, right? Yeah. Or do you? I, I don't know. Like when people have kids, yeah, they disappear for a few times and then they reprioritize on what's important and what's not. I think the first month is just trying to survive. That's it. <laughs> yeah. What I've noticed is that friends, social interaction with friends kind of goes out the window. And maybe that's for you is maybe you'll just have the golf less. <laughs> mm. Sorry. No, no, no. That's definitely not. <laughs> My golfing is pretty contained. I feel like it's a course once a month and then the range like three times a week for like an hour each time most. No, that's not bad. Because I my hands and wrists get tired really easily. I think my form, my grip is still pretty bad. So I, I spend maybe like three hours a week on golf. Maybe four. And we count to four hours that I'm at the course. So we would break the one once a month course time at four hours. At, yeah, four hours a week. But aside from that, um, we have this podcast, which is something I want to keep up regardless of the baby. Those are things I, I really enjoy and relaxing. Anyway, I did want to touch upon the book a little bit. I remember I was talking about the sacred pause last time, really creating space. And I found myself doing this, actually, when I re-listened to this chapter. I remember, I don't know where I learned this, but if something really offends me, like somebody cuts me off or something, right, while I'm driving, or someone is like rude, I'll just take a moment just to pause my thinking. And that's really what sacred pause is. It's just to like interrupt your thinking pattern and be like, Instead of immediately reacting and getting pissed off or like angry, like, why do they cut me off? Why is that person driving so crazy? Like, why are they being so reckless? It just be like, just like interrupt my thinking. It's like, hey, what's making you feel this way? Why am I so angry about this? And I could logically think it out and be like, oh, I'm angry about it because blah, 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 because it puts miles in danger. Like somebody cut me off the other day, puts miles in the car, or they're just like merging in without like paying attention or something. And I was livid for like 20 seconds. <laughs> that's it? Man, I take that with me the entire drive. <laughs> but that's that's what I'm saying is that I think normally or before I would do that, but 
because I interrupted my thoughts. I was like, okay, this happened. It's like loving what is. A lot of this book actually brings me back to loving what is. The inquiry. Yeah. She talks about that too. Yeah, right? I'm just like, this happened. How do I feel about it? Like, I'm, I'm angry. But it already happened. What can I do about it? You know, like, am I going to go chase down that person and go escalate the situation? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but that interruption for me is, is my safer pause. And it just takes me out of that moment. I think that's what it does for me. It takes me out of that moment and has me looking at it from a third party perspective and be like, all right, in the grand scheme of things, I drove with a lot of awareness, right? I was paying attention to the road. I, I did my part and I can't control what they do, not paying attention. I did my part and paid attention and avoided the accident. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Versus me focusing on what this other person did or did not do, which I can't control anyway. And then being like livid for the rest of the ride or for the rest being, you know, worked up for the rest of the day. The accident didn't happen because I did my part, basically. Right. And I, and I always try to understand it from that a lot of times they don't mean to cut you off. Yeah. It's not done on purpose. It's not done with intention. It's more, they just weren't paying attention. Or you know what? I also like to get the benefit of the doubt thinking this person must be in a huge rush. And when are times where I must have cut someone off when I was in a huge rush or cut someone off and I didn't even know? Mm-hmm. I've done that. Yeah. It's like we've done that on mistake and had no idea. And a lot of times too, they might get really upset and you're just like, oh man, I, I'm sorry. And then it diffuses the entire thing, right? And so I, I like to play out that entire thing in my head, especially on the road and especially in L.A., Man, I don't know why, but driving in LA is, I just think it's the worst. LA is infamous. LA traffic is infamous. <laughs> it just teaches you a lot on patience, intention, awareness, self-control. <laughs> yeah. Learning to control, not necessarily your thoughts, because your thoughts are going to be like, what the fuck? I am going to also cut this person off, but more the reaction. It's like, oh, whatever. I lost one car length. It's not a big deal. Exactly. I think that that's why this sacred pause is, is great. It's great to interrupt my thinking. And as we were talking about last recording about going down death spirals is, is really trying to interrupt these patterns of a death spiral, of a downward spiral. Yeah. And by doing that, it's been keeping me pretty even keeled. Even going home is always challenging. I think for most people, spending time with your parents, with parents is challenging. Your parents are in town, actually. <laughs> we didn't even mention that. Yeah, spending time with parents is always challenging yeah. in, in its in a unique way. But I think over the years, I've just learned to diffuse myself because they could say something very innocuous and I could completely take it the wrong way. Like my mom, for example, the other day, she was like, hey, can you help me? I bought them tickets. I had some points left over from like a trip that got canceled when COVID started. These were like KLN points, 100,000 KLN points that I was planning to fly to Amsterdam for. And so they're, they're about to expire this year. They kept pushing oh. it year after year, the expiration date because of COVID. But I think now that COVID's kind of lifting, they're about to expire. So I was like, uh, well, I'm not going to go to Europe this year because I'm having the baby. And my friend was like, Pierre was asking me to go to Tahiti for his birthday in October. And I was like, of course. And I was like, wait, baby's only two months old. I can't leave. So I was like, why not <laughs> book my parents a ticket to Tahiti? It was like just enough points to buy two round trip flights from LA. And then they like started asking me like, oh, 
because traditionally, I think they go through like a travel agencies, everything's planned for them. And very rarely do they have to plan something for themselves. Even when we go on family vacations, my brother and I are planning the whole trip. But it's not like they're not capable of planning or booking hotels or figuring out things. It's just they don't want to. <laughs> and so my mom was asking me to help to look up what islands in Tahiti. I was like, I don't freaking know. I've never been there. And it's like, what island should they visit? And what island should they stay at? What hotel should they stay at? What can help them book the hotels and figure out their flights or the boat trips, like inter-island flights? Yeah. And I was like, mom, I got other shit I need to worry about. I'm not your travel agent. I didn't say that to her, but I was, well, I was thinking. <laughs> and then she wanted me to help her look into like the visa and like, because they're, they're Chinese citizens, they're permanent residents. And so I was like, holy fuck, like, because I offered these freaking tickets, now I have this whole boatload of like work to do. And I already helped them figure out and book a hotel in Bora Bora, but I'm not going to plan out the rest of your trip for you. It's like, you guys are, y'all retired, figure this shit out yourself. <laughs> but I, I think that in a very positive way where I'm thinking like, hey, learn a new skill. But initially I, I was just so annoyed by it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, think, I was like, why is there so much more work? And so my mom was like, hey, can you help me look at like the boat times and the flight times between Papiti and Bora Bora? And I was like, just try to send like the nice one. Like, hey, mom, like, can you try looking at it first? And then, you know, <laughs> I'll help you afterwards. Like, take a look first, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think she got the hint because like two days later, I still hadn't done it. And she was like, oh, I, I figured it out. And I was like, great. Nice. <laughs> But trying not to obviously react to that and trying to understand that like they're not ill-intentioned. They're not trying to annoy me. They're not trying to make my life difficult. It's just I need to figure out ways where I am respectful, I'm helpful, but I'm also not enabling. And putting in that perspective like, oh, I could easily help my parents and just forgo a bunch of other responsibilities I have. But what are the downsides to that is that I and enabling them to never learn how to figure out and plan their own trips. Yeah. So it was definitely something um, that was interesting. And then I went home, installed a bunch of cameras for them because when they come here for like a month or two, they get worried about the house. Like, oh, is the basement flooding? Is the sump pump broken? You know, Michigan concerns. Right, right. And I just bought some Blink cameras from Amazon and like installed them around the house and in the basement. Nice. Put some water sensors in and shit like that. So long story short, definitely challenged me to communicate with my parents in an effective way that doesn't escalate or doesn't make me reactionary from an emotional standpoint. Yeah, man. Communicating with parents is so challenging. If any of you are listening and you have a very open communication relationship with your parents, you are lucky. Keep working at that. It's a huge blessing. Yeah, it is. Just like many things in life, it takes time to develop and it just takes a long time to build up that trust and that communication line. It's like, I liken it to um, laying out a phone line from like New York to San Francisco. What do you mean? Building that kind of communication with parents. I think a lot of people think it's because you're blood related that just be easy to have that communication channel. Yeah. But for me, it's like laying a, a phone line from like New York to San Francisco. Oh, it takes time. It takes a long time. And it takes a lot of effort because it's about building trust. And it'll break occasionally and not work. They'll be static. Yeah. 
and I, I don't know where I read or learned this, but maintaining communication with your parents is no different from maintaining communication with any friend of yours. If you stop communicating or have less communication, it's going to get more difficult. There's going to be more room for misunderstanding. I was thinking the same thing. It's I have a great relationship with my brother now, but I think growing up, it was never like that. And it's something that I think we both try. And it's also about the understanding that they have changed. You go through things in life and all of a sudden, you know, you and I, we both have younger brothers. It's not so much younger brother, older brother relationship. It's more person to person. Human to human. Yeah, it's a person to person, brotherhood. And there is a brother bond that's very different. Siblings have a bond that's different, but both become adults. Maybe that's the thing is the hard thing about parenthood also is that once their kids turn to adults, it's really hard to disassociate them still being a child, right? Everyone says that your parents will always treat you as their kids. And you don't understand that until you have kids of your own. So maybe, you know, Miles is way too young, but in 20 years, you'll know exactly what they mean. It's very hard to switch that view of who they are. Mm. And maybe communication is just about that. It's understanding who they are. I think the more you communicate, the better you have an understanding of who they are. And the more you'll be able to disassociate from them being kids. I think that's the one thing my parents have done is that, yeah, I, I communicate with them a lot. I call them a lot. And they talk to me like an adult. They talk to me like a friend, not like their son, basically. Mm -hmm. And definitely it takes time. Mm -hmm. I was going to switch this to human communication within work. From working at a corporate company, a lot of times, you know, your communications are through emails. And I'm thinking just very in particular to when a big deal gets fucked up, being on operations side, sales and operations, historically, they always butt heads. And sales will always blame ops and ops will always blame sales if something doesn't go wrong. And for me, when I first started getting those types of emails, I took them all very personally. I took them as a direct attack. Like you didn't do your job right is what I was reading in the emails. But as I thought more about where they're coming from, they were just trying to get their intention done no matter what, which was a close deal. And so from their point of view, it, it wasn't it wasn't a personal thing. It was just, hey, this was the blocker that was in the way to get this done. I thought that this didn't get done. And it's not personal. It's just communication. And the more that I communicated with people like that, the more I understood where they're coming from, it really helped me understand and be able to communicate better. It was just like a really big lesson that I learned. Yeah. And I, I really hope more people take that and apply it to their families. Mm -hmm. It's hard to do that with family, though, because you've had a relationship for so long or just with anyone in general. It seems like the longer you have a relationship with someone, the more you kind of expect them to understand what you're thinking without telling them what you're thinking. I think theoretically that makes sense. But for me, logically, over the years now, I've, I've stopped believing that. Hmm. How come? And what I mean by that is, it has less so to do with how long you've known a person, more so with how much you've communicated with them and how well the quality of your communication. So take, for example, like Mink and I, we've known each other for 12, 13 years now. If the level, the quality of our communication is very low, meaning like it's just, hey, how's it going every single day? There's no like real connection, like having deep conversations about 
miles or about work or about things like that, then it's like there will inherently be a rift that grows where like, I don't understand her work. She doesn't understand my line of work. And there'll be a huge, a growing room for misunderstanding. Yeah. Same for friends, right? Like a couple of my really close friends, what I consider best friends, like there's been growing, growing gaps where like we don't communicate or have quality communication. And so there, I just almost expect that they're not going to understand me. Like there may be an instant reconnection and bond, but beyond the kind of the shallow surface level, there's going to be a lot of things where it's almost like starting over again. And so I definitely don't hold on to that belief or that benefit of the doubt where like, just because I've known someone for a long period of time that we're going to not have misunderstandings. Maybe it's even the longer you have a relationship with someone, the more there are misunderstandings just with, well, one with time, you're always going to be misunderstood one way or the other. But also as you go with time, you become different. And so maybe some people think that it's like, oh, I remember you as this type of person, or you did this before. So I expected you to do the same thing. But if you've grown or if you've like changed your way of thinking, yeah, you're, you're just different and you react differently. And so they're like, oh, that wasn't what I expected. I think there's something else bundled into this whole thing though which is what is our level of expectation or how much do we care about acceptance from this person? What I mean by that is how much we care about this person understanding or accepting what I'm saying or who I am right now. With parents, there's a high level of willing, like I want to be accepted by my parents, right? Yeah. Versus like just some like, all right, some elementary school friend that's like, all right, I'm okay if we like fall out. That's not a great feeling, but... It's not the end of the fucking world. Right. Because I, I could easily rationalize that, oh, well, they went down the path of a teacher and I went down the path of like a business person. So it's like, it's different people. Or this person went down the path of entertainment and I went down the path of healthcare, whatever. And so I, I don't have a high level of desire to be accepted by this person. And so in many ways, if they don't understand me. I'm okay with that. Yeah. So I think there's a couple things in play here. Whereas like parents pretty unconditional. You're just like, I want you to accept me no matter what. <laughs> right, right. And that plays into a lot of the emotional triggers. Hey, do you think that, so in the same light where we're saying with parents, I want you to accept me, do you think the reverse is true where we want to accept them or not, maybe not even want to, but we should accept them as they are? Well, this is a tricky thing. You know, as we talked about with loving what is and all these things, like you can't or even encourage to be disliked, encourage to be happy. You can't expect anybody to expect anything of you to accept you or not accept you. Like that is not our business. Right. I'm only bringing this up because I think we fall for these traps where we, there's certain people where we actually care more about earning their acceptance or wanting them to do something, even though we can't change that. Yeah. Whether or not your parents accept you, whether or not my parents accept me is not only out of my control, but it's not something that I should even desire. Yeah. And it's easier to apply that with friendships than it is with parents. Much easier. Because I can think of a lot of friends that have wanted their acceptance and have learned that I will not be accepted. And the decision to be okay with that took time. But once I made that decision, everything got so much better. And that's the interesting thing. I don't think we'll ever be accepted because acceptance is a fleeting thing. It's transient. Right. There's no like, I accept you, James. If tomorrow you like start robbing banks and become a dick, like I'm still going to 
accept you as a human being, but I don't know if I'll you as a friend, <laughs> you know, like, or actually, no, I wouldn't. Yeah. No, I don't think you would. Actually, after all the books we fucking read, like I would still accept you as a human being. I, I still respect you as a human being. I would just have an understanding that you chose to rob a bank or so I, I'm making shit up, you know, or, or vice versa. Let's put it to me. Like if I went and like beat my kid or something like that, you know, like that's fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's not air that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm okay with it. I've never hit miles. I only ever punched anybody in my life. Okay. So maybe it's being able to understand, I mean, even going back to cutting you off example, if someone intentionally cuts you off, there is nothing you can do. Your only thing that you can do is a reaction to that. So if I robbed the bank, there's nothing you can do about it. You can only react to it. I think that's what you're saying. It's like your reaction is just going to be, well, James is now a bank robber. Okay. I would still come visit you in jail. Oh, thanks, man. I mean, if I robbed the bank, I, I don't plan on getting caught. But I guess no one plans on getting caught when they commit a crime, so... <laughs> Anyway, on that note, I think we should wrap this up. Something's about these books. It's a continual practice. It's a continual exploration with our lives. It's not something that just unlocks one day and then stays with us forever. Clearly, I've read two dozen of these books and I'm still trying to figure it out. Yeah, it's a daily practice. Very similar to meditation. You can meditate every day, all day, and still the next time is going to be really tough. You know what? That reminds me. It's like, I think a better metaphor, it's like brushing your teeth. You can't just brush it once or brush it like 24 times in a day and be like, all right, I'm good for 24 days. <laughs> yeah. And even though we've been brushing our teeth most of our lives, it's still a pain in the ass. It's still annoying and it's still a chore. Yeah. Yeah, it sure is. Anyway, it's great to be back. It's great to be back in California. I was really glad to touch down in California. I'm glad we're back on track with the podcast. I just got to fix my microphone. That's all. Yeah. To do. Yes. Do it now. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great week and we will see you soon. See you guys. 